This study, which we are beginning today and running for 12 weeks, has been put out by our province, the Anglican Church in North America, in conjunction with the North American Lutheran Church. They are a group of Lutherans who, kind of having gone through the same experience as we did, uh, formed a province uh, a short time ago, and we, I believe, are in full communion with one another, and we have put forward uh, this study guide for our people to, to study together. And what's so important about it is that it covers the areas of the Holy Baptism, Holy Communion, the Holy Scriptures, and the person uh, and gospel of Jesus Christ, and what do we mean by justification, by grace through faith. So these four areas are really essential to our Christian growth. It's essential for us to understand um, these things. And so today we begin with holy baptism. Now, if you'd like to find this, you can go to the uh, look. Uh, you can just Google uh, Anglican Church in North America, or you can Google the North American uh, Lutheran Church. Is it North America or North uh, North American Lutheran Church? And uh, when you go on the website, either one, because I've been on both recently, you will see that it's there. And you can download this. And there are questions that they ask that we who participate in this study would fill out so that they could help them to know how this worked. Okay? Um, I tried to find a nearby North American Lutheran church to, to no avail. So was anyone here ever a Lutheran? Did anyone here ever live near a Lutheran? Okay, we have people here that live near Lutherans, so that's the best we can do. There's no North American Lutheran church in this area. There are some Missouri Synod Lutheran churches, and there are some ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Churches, Church in America congregations nearby. Yeah, they are. They are, are basically like us in the Lutheran movement. Wow, first the Red Sea, then the resurrection. <laughs> okay. So you can look this up, so please, please do on the website. And then you would have it, you can download it, it's not that long, and you would have this to, to follow along. So Holy Baptism, this is from a document called A Pastoral and Educational Affirmation prepared by the ecumenical consultation of the Anglican Church in North America and the North American Lutheran Church. So, introduction in history regarding baptism. All Christian baptisms are by water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you're using traditional language, of the Holy Ghost. So all Christian baptisms. Why do you think that that would even... Well, firstly, would someone read Matthew 28, 19? Or perhaps I should. Is that right for the... Okay, never mind. Um, I'm being told by Deacon Praveen, who's filming it, that, that I should uh, read it for the sake of it, it being filmed. So Matthew 28, 19... And actually, I'm going to go to 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. That's actually Matthew 28, 18 to the end. And lo, I am with you, even unto the close of the age. Jesus has promised to be, to be with us. Um, why is it important to say it must be water, and then in the name of the Trinity, what's called the Trinitarian formula, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? 
Why do people think that that's important? Well, that's number one. Jesus is the one who gives his church the sacraments, right? And so we follow what Jesus has taught us and what has come down to us from the time of the apostles. And so we go forth and we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we baptize with water. What's another reason, Mike? Well, that's what I'm getting to. I'm asking that very question. Why is it controversial? Does anyone know? There are Christians, firstly, right in the New Testament itself, in the Acts of the Apostles, there was some confusion over the difference between Christian baptism and the baptism of John. John's baptism was, in a sense, symbolic People would be willing to repent, to turn from sin, and to look for the coming of the Messiah. And he would then baptize them uh, in the water, uh, uh, in water, and in the Jordan, in a uh, in a sense that they are dying to their old self, and that they are now looking for uh, a new identity in the promised one, the Messiah. But this is different than Christian baptism. Christian baptism isn't symbolic. Christian baptism actually brings us into the person of Jesus, into his life, death, and resurrection. We actually participate in Christ Jesus through holy baptism. And we are joined to him and he to us, and we'll look at that in a little bit. So, for example, Paul in his travels in the Acts of the Apostles, comes along some people. Um, If someone would try to find this for me, I believe it's around Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 19, could be 18. It's in there, though, I know that. Okay? Um, And he comes across some believers, and he says to them, uh, Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, because Paul, being an apostle, had, was able to bestow upon people the apostolic gift of the Spirit. He would lay his hands upon them, and the Spirit of the living God would be given to them. We see this in, uh, the, in earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, when Philip the deacon goes down to Samaria. He preaches the word of God, and many come to faith and are baptized But then they send to Jerusalem to have two of the apostles come down so that they may lay their hands upon them that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mike? It is 19. Good, because this is being recorded and that's what I said was uh, Acts of the Apostles 19. So I love when a good plan comes together. Okay, so we're going to look at that quickly because the question is, Why is that even controversial, that we must baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Did you see what verse, Mike? While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So he found disciples, people who were following the way, the way of Jesus. They are being discipled. That is, they they are learning uh, uh, to live the Christian life. Okay, the word disciple is related to the word discipline, to have a discipline of life. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he assumes because they're disciples of Jesus that they're believers, but he doesn't assume that they've received that particular gift of the Holy Spirit, the apostolic gift of the Spirit, where one of the apostles lay their hands and the gift of the Spirit is given in a special way. And they said, no, we have never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, you can kind of joke and say there's a lot of part, there's a big majority of the church that hasn't heard of the Holy Spirit, I think. But anyway, um, 
And he said, into what then were you baptized? See, see, see Paul's second assumption. If you're a disciple, you're a believer. If you're a believer, you've been baptized. Right? The one thing he doesn't assume is that they've received that particular gift of the Holy Spirit, the apostolic gift of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Right? But he assumes if they're disciples, they're believers, and if they're believers, they have been baptized. But he can't comprehend that they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit if they've been baptized. Why? Because they would, the implication here is that they would have been baptized with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So how can they be baptized and not have heard of the Holy Spirit? They answer him. They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, that is literally to turn your life around, to turn from the world and to look for the coming of the promised one, the Messiah, who comes in Jesus. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they're baptized, they receive Christian baptism, baptism in the name of Jesus, and then they, Paul lays hands and they receive the Holy Spirit. So profound is this gift of when the apostles lay their hands on believers who have been baptized so profound is that gift, that reception of the Holy Spirit, that earlier, I believe it's in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, um, uh, as I said, Philip the deacon goes down to Samaria, he preaches the word of God, people come to faith, they are baptized into Jesus, but then they send for the apostles to come down. But then Simon, the, for, the magician who's in Samaria, sees that the apostles can give this gift through the laying on of, of their hands. And he offers them money so that he too could have this gift. So that it says, uh, anyone who I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. That's how evident it was. And of course, that's why the attempt to buy the grace of God or an office of God, right, to, is called to this day simony. Simony, because Simon the magician tried to purchase the office of apostle and the grace of God, which we cannot do. And so, uh, so that's number one, is that there was some confusion between John's baptism and Christian baptism. That's why it's important for us to clarify that baptism is with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But there's also other uh, uh, another confusion. There are some who claim to be Christians. I believe they're called apostolic Christians, and if any of them are watching, I'm sure they love that I just did that. I, I apologize if I offended you. But they do not baptize in the Trinitarian formula, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They baptize, quote-unquote, in the name of Jesus. So they'd say, Mike, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. So they take that particular line there. Uh, remember, see, we saw this in, in 19. Um, uh, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They, took, they take that as a formula. But it's not the formula for baptism. What it is, when you, when you say uh, someone is being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is to distinguish Christian baptism, that which is done in his name, the name of Christ, from John's baptism and from proselyte baptism when a non-Jew would become a Jew. So there were different types of baptisms. So baptism that's in the name of Jesus is another way of saying Christian baptism. But the formula is with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this comes down to the fact that the, the matter of the sacrament matters. So what's the matter of the sacrament in holy baptism? 
water. Water, why? Water is first seen uh, in the beginning. It's a, a sign of God's creation, the old creation. Right? And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, where we see uh, a hidden revelation of the Trinity, actually, in Genesis 1, 1 to 3, um, we, we see that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in the beginning. So water is a sign of life. It's a sign of creation. When do we see the, the Spirit hovering over the waters again? When Jesus is baptized. He hovers over the waters of baptism, revealing them to be the waters of a new creation. So you have the waters of the old creation upon which the Spirit hovers, and then the waters of a new creation over which the Spirit hovers. And of course, you have the old Adam and the new Adam, Jesus Christ, the new man, Adam, Adam being Hebrew for mankind, being created from Adama, the dusts of the earth, and also the commander of the Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, thought I'd throw that in for a few of you fans here. Okay. Um, and so that's why it's important. But the matter matters. Jesus doesn't say use water or something like it. And so there, there was a time in church history, I'm not an expert on this, but where they were baptizing using other things. It's the same idea when it comes to the Eucharist. Does the matter of the sacrament matter? Does it need to be bread? And does it need to be wine? And Anglicanism traditionally has said yes, because the matter of the sacrament matters. This is what Jesus gave us. Okay. And that goes on to some of the other sacraments too, including ordination. One of the big arguments is, does the matter of the sacrament matter? When, it, when we're talking about uh, the ordina uh, ordination of, of a man in and of himself as bishop or priest representing Christ as groom and the collective body representing the church's bride. Does the matter of the sacrament matter? Yes, is the, is the answer. And so that's the, the very first question. I want to look, they probably do later anyway, but I want to look at, at Mark's um, version of, of the Great Commission, and then I want to go back to the Great Commission in, in Matthew itself. In Mark's uh, version, in his Gospel narrative, it's in chapter uh, 16, And it says uh, in chapter 16, verse 14 in Mark, Afterwards, afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they sat at table. And he abraded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world. And preach the gospel. Gospel means the good news. To the whole creation. Not just to Western civilization. Not just to, in areas that's predominantly Christian. To the whole world. And to all of creation. We are to preach the gospel. And then 1616. Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So if you hear the gospel and you come to Christ in faith, you are to be baptized. And then you, you are a believer and you are baptized and you are saved. Or if you were baptized as an infant, the idea is that you will grow up always understanding more fully the gift of God given you in holy baptism. So that as you grow, you're growing in faith. So again, you will be one who believes and is baptized. One who believes and is baptized. But there's a warning here that the sacrament of baptism 
uh, as even though it's it's efficacious, God's grace is bestowed. It's not something magical. It's not just a, a, a ticket to ride. Well, I was baptized, so I can live my life any way I want. And when I die, I can say, well, you know, Lord, I have this baptismal certificate here signed by Father Michael McKinnon. Ooh, Jesus will say. Ooh, right? And uh, so I get in, right? No, the gift of, of salvation is given you in baptism, but you can reject that gift. We have a free will. You can move away from that gift. So he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But even if you're baptized, if you reject that gift of salvation given to you by the Lord, um, you will not be saved. Any questions before we go back to Matthew's gospel narrative? Any questions? No? Uh, In Matthew... It says, uh, this is Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. From whom did Jesus receive this authority? From the Father. So Jesus is saying, All authority over all creation has been given to me by my Father. And it's with that authority that I am now sending you. Not just bishops, not just priests, not just deacons. You, all of us, are sent by the authority of Jesus Christ who has that authority from the Father. So that's the authority we bear. And we had better start taking it seriously in this culture. Because this is an authority that has been entrusted to us by our Lord, and he has received it from his Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, with that authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Your husbands, your wives, your mothers, your fathers, your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your co-workers, your um, friends at school, and people near and abroad. Outreach here locally and globally to reach people with the good news of the gospel. That authority has been given to us by Jesus are we going to say, well, gee, thanks, I, I'll, you know, I'll look into it. But that is kind of what we're saying as a culture and as a church, isn't it? Do we wake up every day saying, all authority has been given to Jesus, and he has commanded me to go and to share it. And so, Father, I pray for opportunities this day to share the good news of Jesus. To share the good news of Jesus. And he says, We are to uh, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is discipleship. That's what you're doing right now. This is discipleship. You are right now being discipled. How's it feel? All right, good. We got one good. All right. We got a great, but we get a good, a good, a great, 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 do I hear an awesome? All right. Super great. Super great. And then Jesus' promise is he's with us. We're not alone when we share the gospel, but we must look for those opportunities to share the gospel. So that's why in the introduction, question one is uh, agreed upon by Anglicanism and by uh, this uh, particular branch of, of Lutheranism, uh, number one is that we are to baptize with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, um, as Anglicans, what are we looking to for this? Is, this? is this faith something that Anglicans and Lutherans are coming together and forming? No. This is the faith that has been revealed to the church by God through his word and through the faith and practice of the early church. Okay. 
So that's why it's important, because there were different types of baptism. Because some people confused Christian baptism with John's baptism. And because some people still to this day misunderstand the phrase to be baptized in the name of Jesus with the actual formula for baptizing, which is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, I ask you to look up, if you, uh, when you go home, Google the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, Didache, uh, written um, anywhere between just before the year 100 and 120 at the very latest. Uh, it means the teaching of the Twelve. Now, it's not that the Twelve Apostles wrote it. These are what disciples of the Twelve Apostles received, and they said, we are writing this because we believe it rightly articulates the faith that we have received from the Twelve. Okay? The Didache. And it talks about baptism being with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it also deals with all the controversies of today. Do you need to be fully immersed uh, will infusion, pouring of water over, be okay? Um, should it be done inside or outside? They actually, all this was dealt with uh, around the year 100 A.D., right? And yet Christians are still fighting about this uh, to this day, right? And yet it's, it's, it's there. Of course, what's the symbolism of full immersion? What goes into that water is dead. It's the old creation. What comes out of that water is alive, is a new creation. What goes into that water is our old self, our old Adam, subject to sin and death. And what comes out of that water is the new Adam, Jesus Christ, uh, um, who is the promise of life and salvation, resurrection. Right? We go into the tomb and then we are raised. In practice, if I could, I would baptize every child and adult by full immersion if I could. Okay. We actually tried with one uh, child in my 13 years here, and that was with, with Rebecca. We had this big tub, and we put it on top, if any of you remember, of the baptismal font. And when the bishop went to immerse her, she put two hands back on, on here and two little feet on the front. I'm not going in. <laughs> she looked like a cat, you know. And uh, we got her in there, though. <laughs> we got her in. Um, this is why, and some may be upset uh, who, who view this, um, I really don't like the wording in the 1979 prayer book, and I believe it's in um, the baptismal right now for the ACNA, where it's, it, it's talking about the blessing that water has been. You know, it, it talks about the waters in the beginning and the waters of Noah, which is a foreshadowing, of course, of baptism, we're told in the writings of Peter. And, and then it says, and in, the, the, in water, Jesus received the baptism of John. Jesus did not receive the baptism of John. Jesus initiated Christian baptism. When he went into those waters, he went in first, and we go in with him. And when he comes out of those waters, he came out first, and we come out with him. He was initiating Christian baptism, not receiving the baptism of John. But no one asked me. Before we go on to question two, any other questions, thoughts about any of that? That's a lot right there, right? Okay, someone watching the time, someone let me know when it's 10 of 1. Okay, what time is it now? 27 of 1. Okay, good. Okay, so two. And again, remember, this is not Anglicans and Lutherans coming together saying, what do we believe? This is Anglicans and Lutherans coming together saying, what has God revealed to us to believe through his scriptures, through his word, which is living and true for all generations, and what was the practice of the early church? Okay. We believe there is one baptism for the remission of sins. Where have you heard those words before? Yes, the scriptures, one Lord, one faith, the creed, 
Thank you very much, Joan. The Nicene Creed. But also, we're going to look in a minute at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, around verse 38. It says, there's one baptism for the remission of sins. When we are baptized, we are washed in the blood of Jesus. You know, so often evangelicals say, um, well, you know, because of the abuses uh, of the medieval church, where the sacrament almost became magical and almost like a ticket to ride, well, I was baptized, so I'm saved no matter what I do. They wanted to move away from that and emphasize the important role of faith, right? And they did so. They moved so far that they said that some, some of them, in the more extreme Reformation, said baptism is purely symbolic, right? It's faith. It's when God granted me the gift of faith and I professed Jesus from my heart, uh, from within my heart and with my lips, that he is Lord, that I was saved. And then if I was baptized after, that was a public witness to everyone of what God had done. But really what they were doing was simply exchanging one magic moment for another. This magic moment. Okay, that's right. They're saying, oh, no, 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 no. It's not just because you're baptized. You have to have faith. And yet they said, it's when I professed Jesus that I became a Christian. See, one is subjective, what's going on in their heart by their profession, and the other is objective. You are being baptized by whom? Jesus. You are being baptized by Jesus by water and the Spirit. So one is objective, the other is subjective. Really, the whole argument between baptism and faith is like arguing over uh, which side of a quarter, heads or tails, is worth 25 cents. Right? They go together. If you were a baby when you were baptized, you were to be brought up by your parents, your godparents, and indeed by the entire community in the faith, so that one who is baptized grows in the faith of Jesus, in the gospel. And if one's an adult and they come to faith, then they come to, to, to baptism, and they are sealed in baptism. Yeah, Joan. Does one have to be baptized by a priest who has been made a priest by apostolic succession in order for the baptism to be valid? No. Um, it is the norm within Christianity from the apostolic age on um, that uh, baptism is performed by the ordained. However, the church has always in its practice said that in times for, of emergency, any Christian person can baptize another. You call them by name if you know it. If not, you say, known, to God, known unto God. I baptize you with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then if that person survives, uh, if it's a child, for example, they're to be brought to the church and there's a celebration of the baptism. But the per, uh, a person, anybody can, any Christian can baptize someone um, in the time of a, a emergency. Good question. Other questions? Because I get to sit down when there's questions. Okay. Oh, yes, good. I ask that is because I had a friend who was so afraid that her babies would die unbaptized that she used to baptize them mm -hmm. when they were born. Yeah, because of that, that, that fear. And right. She once told the priest when there was the baptism in the church. I'm sure that went over well. Oh, yeah. Um, right. um, yeah, no, the. Yeah. The norm is, but that's how it was when I was growing up even, um, and I'm only 20. Um, uh, my, my parents, there was uh, six of us born to my mother and father, and they were very reluctant to take us out of the house until we were being driven to the church for baptism. Um, and, uh, you know, today I, I, I think that most people would say that if it's the intention um, for the child to be baptized, 
Um, God's not looking to send anyone to hell. The scriptures say that he desireth not the death of a sinner. Uh, God wills that all men be saved, right? Um, but that baptism is generally necessary for salvation for, for those who are on the earthly pilgrimage. Yeah, and I don't recommend waiting. If you if if you have a child and you are baptized believing parents, um, the the child should be baptized, um, born again by water and the Spirit into Christ Jesus, marked as Christ's own forever. M A C O Mako. Uh oh, you better get Mako. Uh, so you better get baptized, and and I would say also to have that child nourished with the body and blood of Christ, so that there was never a time that child was not fully a member of Christ through baptism and chrismation, and a time when that child was not um, welcomed uh, at the communion rail to receive Christ. Of course, one of the the, um, descriptions of baptism is that we are born anew. If you're born, you have to be what? Fed. If you're born, you have to be fed, right? And so, yeah, so absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good. Um, So we're going to look at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 38. Who wrote the Acts? I mean, God did, but through through whom uh, did God write the Acts of the Apostles? Luke, right. So if you read Luke's gospel narrative, you might want to skip John for now and go right into the Acts of the Apostles, right? Um, what I call the, the Empire Strikes Back, for, you know, number two. All right. Um, I apologize. In Luke, uh, Acts of the Apostles, rather... Um, chapter 2, um, I, I want to start at verse 37, I'm going to move rather quickly, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 37, now when they heard this, they, those to whom the apostles were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ on Pentecost, heard this, what? What's this? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they, those to whom the apostles were preaching, heard this, the gospel of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. See, the heart in the ancient world represented the very depth of one's person. This is a a leftover of this is, uh, you know, I will say to my wife, I love you, Christine, with all my heart. If I said to her, you know, I love you with all my mind. It doesn't have the same effect, does it, right? As I love you with all my heart. So they heard the gospel. They were cut to the heart. That is, to the very core of their being. By the power and authority of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What question are they really asking? What shall we do to be saved? We, we, have, we have received the gospel. We have been cut to the heart. Now, what should be our response? Notice that it's not what some Christian denominations teach. Peter did not say, well, nothing. If you've been cut to the heart... And believe in your heart and profess with your lips that that Jesus is your Lord. Go home. You're saved. That is not what Peter says. That is not the apostolic faith. What does Peter say representing the apostles? What shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? Peter says to them, repent. That is, turn from your old life to Christ. Turn from sin to forgiveness from darkness to light, 
from death to life, from the lie to truth. Turn, the word repent is a nautical term, meaning 180 degrees. Turn and face the other way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That is, receive Christian baptism. Every one of you. Now, we're going to find out that there were thousands of people there. If baptism is, is a public witness of what God has done spiritually within you, and thousands have received that gift within their heart, well, I have an idea. Why don't we have like one person for every thousand come forward and we'll baptize them as this uh, public witness to what has just taken place here? No, he says repent and let every one of you, and you think my mass is long when I say it, let every one of you be baptized in Christian baptism in the name of Jesus. Every one of you. You know, this idea that baptism is symbolic or a public witness, you know, I have several questions. Number one, to whom was Ananias uh, uh, witnessing? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul. To whom was Paul witnessing when he was baptized? To Ananias? Because he was the only one present. Ananias baptized him. He didn't, he, and by the way, he says to Paul, why are you tarrying? Why are you waiting? Call on the name of the Lord and be baptized. He doesn't take him out into the street and say, look, this is Saul who has persecuted you. Look, Jesus has changed his heart. And now we're going to have a public witness to what God has done within him. That's not what he does. Ananias says, hurry. Why, why tarry? Call on the name of the Lord and be baptized. Be saved. To whom was the eunuch witnessing? Philip? Philip was the only other one there with him. And the eunuch says, here's water, what's to prevent me to, from being baptized? And Philip doesn't say, well, you know, why don't we wait and make a, you know, it's meant to be a public witness. You know, we'll gather the community, we'll have cake afterwards, right? No, he stops the chariot, and what does he do? He baptizes the eunuch immediately. And of course, there's other examples of this uh, in, the, in the New Testament. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Peter says why. Here's the apostolic faith as to why. For the forgiveness of your sins. Because, my friends, baptism makes the cross of Jesus Christ a present reality in the moment. It is the cross of Jesus breaking through into that moment. That person is being washed in the blood of the Lamb that flows from the cross, the body of Jesus on the cross. The early church fathers tell us that the water and blood which flowed from the side of Jesus when he was dead and the, the centurion uh, puts the spear in his side represents that, um, that through baptism and holy communion, the cross becomes a present reality for us. We are being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Right? We are receiving the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. And then Peter goes on to say, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is the, that apostolic gift because the apostles are all there. This isn't like the disciples that Paul comes across. Or like the disciples in Samaria where the deacon, Philip, baptized them. And so they had to call for the apostles. And then he goes on. Peter goes on, and this is important. He uses covenant language. Covenant language. God has established a covenant with Abraham, and it's fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And he uses uh, the covenant language of promise. For the promise, that is, this new covenant in the blood of Jesus, and the new sign of the covenant, which is baptism, 
So verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to your children and to all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And of course, God called the little children to him. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and do not forbid them, for to them belongs the kingdom of God. How do we enter the kingdom of God? But by entering into Christ through baptism. And Peter testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. See the connection through baptism and salvation? What must we do? We heard the gospel, be baptized, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves. So those who received his word, what word? The word of Peter, the word of the apostles, the apostolic faith. Those who received the apostolic faith, it said, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added unto whom? The church, the apostles, into Christ, into the family of God, into the covenant. And they, the newly baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice not just uh, what I want to believe. Well, I was baptized, and I kind of like this and that. That's very good. Have you tried that? But I'm not, I don't really like that. I'm not going to, where's Father Bob? That's like broccoli, right? You you know, you're kind of, you know, I don't really like that, you know. So I'm going to, maybe a little this. That's not it. God has revealed the faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and the apostles, and it's into that faith that we are baptized. We are not baptized and then decide what we want to believe. We are baptized into what God has revealed. And guess what? If, if you don't like what God has revealed, guess what? God's not going to change. God's not going to change. If something was true at the time of Jesus and the apostles, now I'm talking within the essentials now of the faith and morals of the church, it is true today, like it or not. So I gotta eat broccoli. You have to eat broccoli. Let this be recorded for all time. He who adds to this teaching, the punishment shall be added unto him. No. Um, Um, and so you know this this is it there are things i'm going to admit there are things in the gospel and things in the faith of the church that as i was growing in the faith over years that um i wish were different but it wasn't i wasn't going to create a god in my image and likeness i wanted to be created in the image and likeness of god by the power and authority of his word By his word. So they continued in the apostles' doctrine, not their own doctrine, not in the Anglican doctrine or the Lutheran doctrine, but the apostles' doctrine. As um, uh, Clement of Rome um, said, he wrote in 96 AD, he's writing at the same time that John is writing his gospel narrative and, and uh, the book of Revelation. Clement writes, what we have received, we receive from the apostles and the apostles from Christ, and Christ is from God. From God. For uh, Clement, first Clement, I believe, who was writing in 96 AD. He was succeeded, I believe, by Linus, Bishop of Rome. Um, he's the one, if you see a statue or icon of him, he has the blanket. Yeah. It really was Linus, but he didn't have a blanket. But anyway, and then there was Pope Pigpen, and no, not, that's it. And Deacon Lucy. And Deacon Lucy, that's right, <laughs> who gave advice for five cents. <laughs> that's right. Um, and in the fellowship, in the fellowship of the apostles, in the fellowship of the church, you see, a lot of people will say, well, my Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't uh, say that. Who is your Jesus? 
I don't understand that. There is one Jesus, and he has revealed himself to, to us. You see, we receive the faith that God has revealed in Jesus personally within our hearts, but we are not called into an individual relationship with God. We are called into a community, into a covenant. We are to receive the faith personally, but you see, personally is different than individually. Does everyone get that? It's not just me and Jesus. I'm baptized into a family, into a covenant. And the family has a faith. The family has a sign of the covenant, baptism. The family has a meal, Holy Eucharist. It's not just me and Jesus. My oldest uh, daughter, Sarah, who's 13, asked me a few months ago, Dad, can we start um, the, uh, uh, doing theology together? Like once a week, spend a couple of hours doing the- theology. I really want to learn. And I said, great. And this was unsolicited, by the way. Didn't cost me $100 or anything. And she came to me and asked this. And the first thing I taught her is when it comes to what God has revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and through his holy word and what was received by the whole church east and west in continuity with the holy scriptures. When it comes to that, your individual opinion means nothing. This is radical in our culture, radical in our society. It means nothing. It's not what does Archdeacon Michael believe, or what does Billy Graham believe, or what does the Pope teach, or even what does this document say? What matters is what has God revealed in his son Jesus Christ through the holy apostles and in the word, and what has been received as the truth of that word by the whole church east and west. Diane. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like it's like uh, Sarah being born into the family, um, and and saying, you you know what, I'm gonna uh, go live in a tent in the backyard, you know, and and have my own. Uh, it, it just uh, the the question was, is this why there are many people who? don't feel that they need to come to church once they're baptized, and some haven't even been baptized? And the answer is yes, because they don't understand that we are part of a covenanted community. We are part of a family, that God calls us as a people, and then we receive all of this personally within us. But Jesus is present in a special way through the gathering of the community, which is ecclesia, meaning the assembly, the church, And within that gathering, the ecclesia, uh, we share koinonia with him and one another. Koinonia is a most intimate fellowship. And we share that in the fellowship where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. And then uh, through the within that context, the proclamation of his word and then receiving that, that sacrament. Absolutely. If we only understood what we were given, there would be people lined up outside trying to get in. Not because of me, not because of fellowship, whatever food we're serving, but because they understand that there is a special presence of Christ in the gathered community where the word of God is shared and the sacraments are rightly administered, which by the way is a a Lutheran quote. That's a Martin Luther said that the church is where the gospel is rightly, uh, no, where the gospel is proclaimed. I apologize to my Lutheran friends if I'm paraphrasing here. Where the gospel is proclaimed and the sacraments are rightly administered. People don't understand that. Is it one o'clock? Oh, we have three minutes. Other questions? Other questions? Father Bob, anything you want to add? Uh, question. Uh, if the matter matters, then 
Um, because first of all, the matter matters. We're still using water, which is the matter. This all goes back to the incarnation. God uses his creation to convey his presence, his love, his mercy, his truth, his forgiveness, his healing. Um, And he does this through the created order, not in opposition to the created order. Because the, the creation was in the beginning good. Unlike some other religions where uh, the creation is evil and we are to transcend the creation. In Christianity and in Judaism, the creation is essentially good, though fallen. And so God uses the created order, the created matter, his creation, to convey his presence. What's the ultimate ultimate um, expression of God conveying his presence, his love, his mercy, his truth, his goodness, his self, his healing through the created order. The incarnation, Jesus Christ himself. And then through the sacraments, we are brought in, and through word and other things, we are brought into Christ, Jesus. So for the infant or for the adult, the matter is still water. And see, it's not what the person is doing, it's what God is doing through his church. Right. The church has always taught that if a person was seeking baptism and died before they could be baptized, or if they were martyred for the faith, that's called being baptized in blood, um, uh, that, they are, that they are baptized. And the church has taught this um, based on the principle of Holy Scripture that God's not looking to send anyone to hell on a technicality, right? I was on my way to church and I, you know, got struck by, you know, got struck down, right? That, that it's, so there's baptism by desire, and there's baptism by blood, okay? And the church has always taken the principles of what God has revealed in Holy Scripture um, to hold this, this belief. But the, the norm for, by far, I call those uh, island questions. If I'm stuck on an island and I never knew that, you, you know, am I saved? And for the rest of the 99.9% of humanity, uh, water baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, good question. Thank you for that clarifying that. Yes, Robert. Yeah. And she came to me rather than the priest. I don't have any reason to, to I have no idea why. But she came to me and she said, Rob, I know my baby's dead, but is he going to hell? Will he have is he going to heaven? And I just had no um, no doubt whatsoever. I said, Your baby's waiting for you. Mm-hmm. No, there, there are some who would argue against that and say um, that either we don't know or that all persons uh, are deserving of damnation because of sin, so therefore we should be happy that any are saved. Um, but I would say that many would, would, would agree with you and would say that the principle there is that although we deserve because we are, we're conceived and born into fallen humanity out of right relationship with God, that God has, um, has poured mercy and forgiveness into the world through the blood of his Son. And, and so it's in that principle that we take that child 
and, and lift them to God. And that's all we can do. We have to allow for a certain amount of mystery. We don't like mystery in the West. We don't like it. We want to be able to answer absolutely everything. I had a physicist once who said to me, when I can understand uh, your faith, then maybe I'll believe it. And I said, okay, when I can understand physics, maybe I'll believe it. I still don't understand physics. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming. I hope you'll be here. Um, we have two more weeks in baptism, and uh, we only have touched the tip of the iceberg, and so we're going to go deeper into those waters of baptism uh, next week. And the following week, Bishop Charlie will be here, which is kind of neat. God bless.